the Lord a hand clap of praise for that this morning. It is an absolute honor to be with you today. Uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We are continuing our sermon series called Grow. And what the Bible teaches us as Christians, what the Bible demands of us is that we grow into maturity. We grow as a result of our transformation. We grow because it's what God demands of us. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 is the text from which we've drawn this series. And the Bible records, and I've reviewed this every Sunday morning we've been in this series, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. The question we've asked ourselves over the course of this series is, how can we grow in grace? If we rightly define grace as unmerited favor, something we can't earn, something that we'll never measure up to be justly rewarded with, something that by its own definition can't be gotten of our own strength, then how can we grow in grace? And what the Bible teaches us is that growing in grace has everything to do with us living the life and the lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we align our life with the lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ, we create space for God's Spirit, God's presence, and His power to overwhelm our life. And when God overwhelms our lives and His grace flows within us, we grow and mature as God's demanded of us. A couple of things that we've already covered. The first thing we covered in this series is that to grow in grace, we live the spiritually disciplined life, just like the life and lifestyle of the Lord Jesus. What we also learn is that we allow the Spirit to deliver us from strongholds, from vices, from areas of our life that are imprisoned by sinful behavior. And as we are delivered from those things, the grace of God has more space to reign in us. Today we're going to talk about a very important subject. And if we want to grow in grace, another thing that the Bible is going to teach us is that we grow in grace through desiring what God desires for us. So we might say that the more a Christian grows... The more that person grows in grace, the more grace flows freely through that person's life, the more their intimacy with God deepens. The more deeply they fall in love with God, the more passionately they are connected with God, and the more their intimacy with God deepens, the more their desires, the desires of their deepest heart, align with God's desire for them. I want to draw your attention to Psalm 37, 4, and then we'll get into our text in Matthew chapter 6. The Bible says in Psalm 37 and verse 4, to take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this is one of my favorite verses. And I use this verse and I tell people, your dreams can come true. You can receive, you can acquire What you desire, that's what I tell people. 
Now, if you're, if you're good Christian people and you love Jesus and you know the word, you might hear something like that and you might feel inclined to say, Trent, now wait a second. Your spiritual life is not about you. It's not about your dreams. It's not about your desires. It is wrong for you to teach people that 100% guarantee their dreams can come true and 100% guarantee they can acquire what they desire. And to that I would say, you're right. I agree. But this is what I would say. That the more deeply you fall in love with God, the more madly in love with God you are, the more he transforms, ladies and gentlemen, every single thought in your mind and every single desire of your heart. And he changes those thoughts and those desires, those drives, those motivations to align with his. And guess what? The things God desires for you are so much better than the things you could ever desire for you. And so when I make a statement, I guarantee you that your dreams could come true or that you can acquire what you greatest desire. And I, and I cite Psalm 37 4. What I'm really teaching you is that if you will have a love of God that is deep and authentic and genuine, then your desires will align with his desires for you, which will be greater than anything you could ever desire for yourself. And God, if you'll live the way he demands, will bring those things about in your life. Your desire can become your reality. Somebody shout amen because you're excited about that this morning. Okay. All right. Jesus is the perfect example of this. So we're going to look at some of his teaching and we're going to learn how we can live that kind of life. Let's pick up our text now. This is Matthew chapter 6. I've got this on the screen for you. I'm going to start in verse 19 and we're going to spend some time in Matthew chapter 6 listening to the teaching of Jesus. Here's what the Bible says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin can destroy And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal. Catch verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's camp out on this for just a moment. Now store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What is that? Exactly. What does that mean? Well, it means two things if you really dig into the text. The first thing that this means is heaven itself is a treasure. And when you are living the way Jesus lived, and when your thoughts align with the thoughts of Jesus, and the desires of your heart align with the desires that God has for you, you are living with a specific destination in your future. Your map quest is set. The pathway is calculated. Your eternity will be spent in heaven. And heaven itself is a great treasure. If you're living the way Jesus demands, then you are automatically storing up for yourself a treasure in eternity. It means your eternity will literally exist on streets of gold. You'll walk through gates of pearl. The lion of the tribe of Judah will be there. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The king of kings, the Lord of lords himself will be with you forever. There may not be a greater treasure mentioned in all of scripture than that. 
But the Bible also talks about storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And we've got to be really careful with this. What this means is that treasures in heaven can be stored up, but not by performing meritorious acts. It's not about how often you attend church. It's not about how many Bible verses you memorize. It's not about how many people you convert. It's by belonging to and living your life as though you are a member of the kingdom of heaven. It's by living the life of Jesus, subjecting yourself to the lifestyle God demands and throwing yourself at his mercy and allowing him to direct your life. And in so doing, the scriptures teach us that you store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The Bible teaches us in these verses that what we treasure in life is what we most desire. The things we treasure the most, naturally, are the things we value the most, are the things we desire the most. And Jesus teaches us that our heart then becomes rooted where the treasure of our lives is buried. So the question you've got to ask yourself this morning is, what do I really treasure? And how can I know, how can I tell where exactly my heart is rooted? We'll have to cover a little more of this text in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. Jesus goes on to say, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, you got to do some Greek study here, but the Greek word for health in verse 22 is haplos. And other, elsewhere in your Bible, it's actually translated as singleness, simplicity, or clarity. If you have a translation other than the NIV, which is what I'm reading here, your Bible may actually say one of those words. So here's the sense we get in the Greek. All right. The healthiest eyes are the eyes that don't see two things at once. Anybody ever had double vision before? Raise your hand. All right. There was a time in my childhood where I was knocked hard enough in the skull where I could see double for a little bit of time. And let me just tell you, in that moment, my eyes did not feel extremely healthy. All right. So in the Greek, this word for singleness of vision, clarity of vision, simplicity of vision carries with it the ability to focus. Carries with the understanding of focus. First way you can know where your treasure really lies is what you are focused on, what your priorities are. And where your priorities are, where your life is focused, is where you spend your most valuable resources. Those resources are your time, your energy, your experience, and your physical presence. Look at your week this last week. Out of the 168 hours available to you, what did you spend the most time doing? Where did you sweat? Where did you put in effort? Where did you really stretch your energy, whether it's emotional or physical? And what areas of life do you feel most experienced in? If you were to look at those things over the past week, what you would see is what you treasure. What you could identify is where you were focused. What you would notice is what your view, what your vision is focused on. And some of us notice 
that we don't have God's presence in our lives. We don't have God's power in our lives because we simply haven't made God a priority in our lives, a focus of our life. In verse 24, Jesus goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. You cannot do it. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. No way to serve two different kingdoms. In this, we learn that another way to figure out where your treasure is buried is not simply to look at the focus of your priorities, but look at what you're committed to. Where are your commitments? You cannot be committed to two kingdoms. This is a really unique idea for us to understand today. Think about this. You really could hold down two different jobs in your life. You could function as an entirely different type of employee in your second job that you do in your first job. You can be a resident of two different countries, technically, in the world we live in today. But if we're talking about the place our heart is rooted and the things we most desire, we simply cannot be committed to two different kingdoms. Can you imagine how strange it would be To go on a mountain ski trip during spring break and actually pack for a spring break at the beach. You pack heavy coats, long sleeve shirts, pants, boots, and ski goggles for a mountain ski trip. If you're headed to the beach, what you pack in your suitcase looks totally different. Swimsuits, sunscreen, glasses, and flip-flops. None of which would help you get down a snowy mountain with any comfort. Now, you could tell yourself all you wanted that you were committed to your ski trip, and it doesn't matter what kind of self-talk you do or positive mental attitude you try to have. When you finally get to where you're going, what you'll realize is that you weren't really committed to the destination you thought you were headed to. And think of how life would be if you really lived like that every single day. How complicated would things be for you if you tried to convince yourself really that you were committed to one place, but everything else in your life said you you were committed to somewhere else. Life just wouldn't make sense. You'd constantly feel unprepared, ill-equipped, out of place. Some of you might even feel downright crazy. And this is the way it can be in our spiritual lives. We can honestly and genuinely be telling ourselves that we're committed to the kingdom of heaven, but every other area in our life actually demonstrates we're committed to the kingdom of earth. Thankfully, ladies and gentlemen, you can commit to storing up treasures in heaven genuinely mean it and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow through with that commitment. And what you notice in life is that it begins to make sense. You begin to feel prepared. You start to feel equipped and like you are a good fit for your current situation. We would describe those kinds of people as the people for whom life just seems to make sense and things just seem to fall into place. It's not because of some magic. It's not because of some unique anointing or some favor of God. It's because those people are committed to and living by the same kind of kingdom commitment. The other thing that we might discuss 
is this idea of work. Literally, the idea of storing up for yourselves treasures in the Greek carries with it what people are working at. And what's the core of what you work at? What's the underlying drive? What is the desire you are trying to obtain through your work? You can use your work for any mission. Yeah, you might be a plumber, you might be a house framer, a real estate agent, a counselor, a medical doctor, or an accountant. But you can use all those as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven with your heart's greatest desire to live the life and lifestyle of Jesus and fall more and deeply in love with God. And in so doing, have the desires of your heart realized. Or you can genuinely use everything you do day in and day out in your career, storing up for yourselves treasures here on earth. And what you find is that you come back empty, overworked, underpaid, and unsatisfied. Jesus goes on to teach us about maybe the thing in life that competes for our desire above anything else we face. Matthew 6:24, Jesus says goes on to say you simply cannot serve both God and money. Money and the love of money prioritizing money above all else, committed to making money, working for money. That may be one of the biggest battles we each face. And that would make it one of the most common battles we fight. But God will not settle for partial loyalty or almost complete loyalty or just about total loyalty. God will settle only for total loyalty to Him. To focus every single thing we've been talking about, our priorities, our commitment, our work, and our money on Him, His kingdom, and His pathway. Now when Jesus is speaking here, He's not talking against having money. It's not having money that's bad. It's being loyal to money, letting money be the Lord of your life, letting money be the priority through which every other thing in your life is oriented around. The life and lifestyle of Jesus and his disciples required support from people who had some money. Jesus is simply teaching that following him means being loyal to him over anything else. And when we hold back and we focus on the wrong things, when our priorities lie where they're not supposed to, our commitments lie where they're not supposed to, our work is done as a result of our desires for things in the material world, in the natural world, in the kingdom of earth, then the symptoms of the condition of our heart become an attitude of fear or an attitude of anxiety, or an attitude of worry. Life itself seems uncertain, and we have this foreboding sense that things could turn out badly. Well, Jesus addresses just that later on in Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 31, Jesus says, You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you will wear. Don't you know that the pagans run after all those things? And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I've got that 
on the screen for you somewhere this morning. Yeah, you could probably jump forward. I want to show you what this looks like after that text. So here's a, here's a table that I made to show you the difference it makes living the way Jesus lived, loving God above all else, and allowing the priorities of God and the desires of God to become my desires and my priorities. If I live as a member, really, of the kingdom of earth, here's what my mindset will be. My mindset will be that things are scarce. This is called a scarcity mentality. This means that the pie is limited. Resources are short and they're simply not enough. I'll tend to view things through quantity, how much of a thing there is. And I'll especially be interested on how much of this thing there will be tomorrow. And when that's the state of my mind, my emotional state is a fearful, worrisome state of anxiety. People who are living as though they are citizens of earth, that their desires are the most important, and they've neglected falling more deeply in love with God, and have instead fallen more deeply in love with the world, notice that they are constantly anxious. That anxiety leads to being reactive and impulsive. i got to get this now. I can't miss this opportunity. If I hesitate, it'll pass me by. And when the culture of my life, when the attitude of my emotional state is of fear, change is something I'm unwilling to even consider. Fear would say, man, it's not great now. The resources seem scarce now. If I change, it could get worse. So no change can be easily embraced. And in fact... In its worst state, change can be labeled as bad, progressive, or unbiblical. Which is an attempt to soothe our fear and anxiety and tell ourselves that what we are doing is really okay. If I'm living in fear and worry, I tend to talk to myself a lot about the way things used to be and what might have been. My attitude then becomes very greedy, very possessive. I hate to say it, but very self-centered. What matters to me is my life, my needs, my health, my preferences, my desires for me. I elevate myself to master of my universe and I make excuses then for being exclusive, keeping people out, not being influenced by others' thoughts and feelings, And I tell myself things like, well, I don't want to enable people to be irresponsible. I don't want to make it easy since obviously they're they're lying in the bed that they've made. And we'll tell ourselves things that justify being unloving, unkind, and selfish. Seeing ourselves as the victim. So what will be my disposition? My disposition will be control. We tend to operate under the presupposition that if we're in control, we're less likely to be hurt. So we might say say to ourselves, I have to do this 
myself. I have to influence this. If I can't be in control, I don't want to be involved. My tendency will be to leave relationships or places that won't accept influence from me because that tells me I can't be in control. If I'm not in control, I might not have enough. I might not make it through tomorrow. I might get hurt. So I tell myself I'm doing God. I'm actually doing this God's way. And that I'm genuinely seeking God's direction when I haven't taken the time to pray, repent, or genuinely seek what God wants from me. Thankfully, you don't have to live that way. You can live seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You can live in a way that pursues what Jesus pursues. You can live in a way that values what God values. And if you live that way, then what you'll find is that you can acquire what you desire. Your dreams become your reality. Not because they're yours, but because they're God's dreams for you. Your mentality, when you live that life, will be a surplus mentality. You will tend to think there is more than enough in life. You'll live a life of plenty, which will have nothing to do with your material possessions. You'll view things through quality. You'll probably say to yourself, I may not have everything that I want, but praise the Lord, there is more than enough to meet my every need. Instead of living in a a state of constant fear and worry, you get to live when you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness in a state of confident peace. You'll say that God is in control. You know that God is good and you trust that God will take care of you and God will meet your needs because God said he would. When the enemy whispers, you might lose your job. Your family's health may suffer. What if the world falls apart? That you trust God is over the world and that God will see to it that you get what you need. You'd view yourself as a child of God if you're seeking first God and his righteousness and you know that God takes care of his children. That allows you to live with the assurance Of knowing that while the road may be hard at times, and the hill might be hard to climb, and that the cross you bear may get heavy, that help will always come just at the right time. And that God is in your situation, guiding your situation, directing your situation, and will meet the need when the need must get met. This is a life that's lived with peace and a hopeful expectation of the future. Not looking back, thinking about what might have been, but looking ahead and hopefully genuinely seeing what can and will be because of the grace and mercy of God. That person's attitude, the person who seeks first God's kingdom and his righteousness is not self-centered, it's Christ-centered which is a very generous attitude. That person, instead of using words like me or mine, uses words like ours and us. 
And instead of thinking what I need, the person who first seeks God's kingdom and his righteousness thinks of the needs of others. What do others prefer? What do others need? What are others' hardships? And how can I help heal the hurts in others rather than being self-centered and self-focused and inclusive, exclusive? This person is other-focused, generous, and inclusive. Rather than make excuses for their shortcomings when these kinds of individuals are selfish, they tend to notice their self-centeredness and say, rather than I don't want to enable others, they would comment, I don't want to enable myself. They would repent, realign their priorities, commitments, work, and money, and seek first the kingdom once again. Not seeing themselves as victims, they would see others in light of their struggle, and be very graceful and generous considering those struggles. What's the disposition of a person like this like? How do they approach life? What is their natural orientation? It's not one of control. These kinds of individuals understand that when they're in control, they crash and burn. But when they seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, they find God's word to be true. That in that lifestyle of surrender, all the desires that their heart is focused on can be acquired. They would say, I want to get out of God's way. I really trust God. And I know that the best outcomes in life are possible when God is in control. So I surrender. Now, Jesus' overarching focus here is money. And it's a really easy way to kind of gauge where you're genuinely at with this by looking at money. Do you tend to be exclusive? Do you tend to be anxious? Do you tend to want to be in control? Or do you tend to be inclusive? Do you tend to be generous? And do you tend to be surrendered? Surrendered. In that area, just like in every area of life, means instead of asking, how much should I give God? Which is what we do, isn't it? We pull out our pocketbooks or we look at our calendars and we say to ourselves, well, how much of this should I really give? Surrender would say, why would I hold any of this back? So look at your life, ladies and gentlemen. What's your attitude like? What's your mindset like? What's your emotional state like? What really is your disposition? And are you really saying to yourself, what, what, what should I give here? Or instead, are you saying to yourself, why would I hold anything back? Are you holding something back from the Lord today? Are your desires guiding you? Or instead, is your love for God allowing His desires for you to become your desires And are you seeing some of your dreams come true? If not, you can surrender completely today. Today, you can begin to fall more deeply in love with God. Today, you can begin to really, genuinely seek His kingdom and His righteousness and let His desires become yours and let His love for you become the guiding principle in your life and things will make sense and fall into place And genuine satisfaction can be yours. That's how you grow in grace. And that can be the way your life is lived from today forward. I'm going to close with a prayer.
And today, I pray, will be the day of transformation in your life if it needs to be. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, I come before you right now so thankful, God, that the more deeply we fall in love with you, the more our desire.